0: And now another episode of Mind Escape with Michael and Maurice. Take it
1: away, Michael.
2: Yeah, so I think it's old, and I wouldn't have a problem with it being a hundred thousand years old. I mean, because oh, because I mean, I don't think it's that old, but I wouldn't have a problem if it was if it turned out to be that old. We we have been around. I mean, mo- anatomically modern humans have right. been around for twice that long. Yep. And I just find it hard to believe that we went through that people that are basically just like us went for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years without ever trying any of this stuff that we're doing now. You know, or at well, the at, at the very yeah. least building structures and carving things and you know. So you I could I say
3: just, that that we so you're saying, okay, so two hundred thousand years of Homo sapiens sapiens. Yes. And yeah. This brings up the point of like different ages of men. Is it possible this we only know about for sure what let's say 11,600 years of history based on like structures that would be Göbekli Tepe right um, before that's hunter gatherers. So is it that's only 11,000 years. So you look at out of 200,000 years. Okay. So now we're talking there could have been a few of those in there. I'm not debating that but how advanced did they get and what level did it rise to? And they obviously didn't get into metallurgy or anything because I think we would have been able to find stuff like that by now. Well, uh,
2: so with the metal stuff, I'm actually m- less surprised that because metal does not preserve. You can't preserve it.
3: But I mean, if know. they were really getting... How old are if those gears that
0: we found? But though? I'm talking
3: about like titanium, like alloys and stuff like that. That's what I'm saying about advanced. I, I don't mean like just making iron or copper yeah. copper with arsenic in it or whatever the case may be i'm talking about like real stuff that we like metal uh um spaceship grade aluminum or something like that you know what i'm saying so yeah yeah like so that.
2: aluminum aluminum does stick around for a lot long, but it it also how long uh, do you think it, well it, aluminum can last a long time but if it's left out in the elements it won't because
3: right. because rain's Right, a Rain car will, a car will rust yeah. out in 150 years to the to the to nothing.
2: Right, so in a thousand years, you need forensics to find out if a car was sitting somewhere. Right, if you just left a car out in the right. field for a thousand years, in a thousand years, you'd need forensic science to determine there was a car there. Right, and if no one's looking for a car, they're never going to know there was a car there. Yeah,
4: right. and so so if you if you include in that the the possibility of, you know, catastrophic
2: change. Yeah, on the earth, and completely it, and then, erases the surface. Then you have,
4: you, let's say, you have a <laughs> couple of thousand years for things to sit around and rust away, and then you have a catastrophe that just rearranges the soils and everything in the area, and spreads everything out, and drops it, and picks it up, and moves it other, to other places. Like what? What are you going to find? Right. Yeah. The only thing that the only thing that you're going to find is something in an area that that has never been disturbed by catastrophe. Um, in stone, and pretty much everything else is out of the question.
1: Yeah. Know.
2: And, you know, I, I, I'm sure you guys have looked at uh, uh,
3: Forbidden Archaeology, right? But the Cremo book. Have you guys gone through any of that stuff? I think I belong to some group on Facebook, Forbidden Archaeology, but I've never read the book. I didn't no, know I'm not. That, I didn't know there it. was a book for Forbidden Yeah, so there's a
2: fantastic book called Forbidden Archaeology where him and his, it's Michael Cremo and his uh, co-author. I can never remember the guy's name, huh? Yeah, so they 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 basically dug through archaeological records from the past 200 years, and they found all the anomalous ones. Where basically, you know, and they were going through like archives. Like they mm-hmm. they weren't just digging through newspaper articles. They were going through archived records in 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 uh, academic libraries, you know, where people had written reports on their different finds and stuff. And he basically made a book out of all of them, all the ones that are totally anomalous. Basically, where you're finding human remains and and impossible quote-unquote impossible contexts. richard what? l thompson yeah richard thompson Sorry, all right i'll look d. that up
4: not even a d in there anywhere <laughs>
2: <laughs> just completely got that one wrong you think that's on, you, <laughs> think, you think that's on kindle yes yeah. i have it on yeah. so he wrote a he got an abridged so forbidden archaeology he, he sometimes jokingly refers to it as forbidding because the book is enormous it's mm. just gigantic tome he wrote a uh, an updated version that took out a lot of the um, scholarly type arguments that just has all the data in there. Sure. And that one's called uh, hidden history of something like that.
4: Yeah. Hidden history of the human race. Yeah. Like
2: that that's, 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 you know, start with that one. And then if you want all the details, you can get forbidden archaeology and read and where he's just quoting papers and stuff. But, uh, hidden history of the human race basically goes through the same cases, but doesn't have all the enormous amounts of, uh, the bibliography and stuff. So it's good. Sure. It's good to start with. But anyway, uh, he goes through one of the sections, one of my favorite sections in that book, he goes through uh, anomalous finds in coal mines. Right? And so the, it, down in coal mines, two miles beneath the surface of the planet, they're mining coal, and they start finding freaking walls right. made of blocks buried in the coal two miles beneath the surface, you know. Ashlars. Yeah. Wh- where, basically. though?
0: Kentucky. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's sweet. I've been down in some of those caves, plunking. Yeah. But you
2: know, two miles
0: beneath the surface—that's yeah,
2: way <laughs> down there. He, the The guy with one of the uh, one of the <clears throat> miners that was down there was saying like they it's so deep they had to pump oxygen down there to him. You know, so they yeah,
0: had to that's insane. Yeah, I was a hundred, so, a couple. Of, I was probably not even a hundred feet down. And
3: it, right, so we're talking like, crazy. He took the yeah. Zoolander route. <laughs> <He> came <laughs> out all ashy. He got black lung. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty sweet, man. That's, there's
2: also the, there's also, and this one you can look up. It's also, it's very interesting. The, um, uh, and this is not so much structures as it is anomalous human remains. So the gold rush, uh, the California gold rush, they were, they were basically mining, uh, underneath tabletop mountain, right? So there was a Canyon next to the mountain and they would go down to the bottom of that Canyon and then dig straight in, like basically run shafts into the mountain <clears throat> or drifts into the mountain, looking for. Mm-hmm. gold that was on a paleo surface right so the mountain has basically moved over top of a paleo surface in the intervening however hundreds of millions of years they think right mm. so down there beneath the mountain are actual is an actual ground level layer that used to be on the surface and there are riverbeds ancient very ancient riverbeds there, full of gravels and stuff and that's where they're finding these enormous gold nuggets in the riverbeds right that was part of the gold rush so the, the guy who was uh, in the uh, California USGS at the time started getting these reports from these miners that they were finding human artifacts in the freaking riverbeds and around, you know, in these mine shafts that they were making. So he goes down and starts collecting them, getting reports, right? So there was one, one that I remember clearly, there was a huge, uh, petrified tree trunk that they had found where they're digging all, along the Paleo surface. So a trunk of a tree fell down and then it gets covered up, but alongside of the trunk, is remains of a human skeleton also fossilized mm. and like stone tools, right? And according to the ge- geological science, that surface wasn't, that, that ground level area was hasn't been on the surface for like 200 million years. Wow. So something's wrong there, right? Something is, mm-hmm. either, the, either the geology is wrong or we've got an entire evolutionary human history past wrong. And that's the whole point of that's the book. That's about and, right. Yeah. <laughs> all you're
3: right, right. Either
4: either this is wrong or this is wrong. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> someone's right. wrong here. <laughs> right.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's pretty interesting. I I have never heard of that book. I'll have to check it out for sure. Yeah. It's pretty it's... funny to think
0: back though on all the stuff you learned in high school. You guys must think about that like, you know, about Egypt and how the pyramids were built and this and yeah. that. And it's 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 like hardcore facts. Right, and you get out of there, and you're like, "That's what are they doing?" Yeah, exactly. But they won't change the books. They won't change the the text. Right. And so going back to the Sphinx, like that's what's interesting about it.
2: Like, and here I am saying like a bunch, even if uh, <laughs> totally, bro. <laughs> we all got yeah, it, man. Seriously, bro. <laughs> okay, so so I mean, you know. Uh, <laughs> We'll do the next episode, all words <laughs> right. okay. so so, even if the Sphinx is just a couple of hundred years older than they think it is, than they say it is, that still the whole house of cards comes tumbling down because the Sphinx is at the beginning of dynastic egypt. if you if If the Sphinx was actually built or constructed a couple of hundred years before they think it was, that puts it in pre-dynastic period. And then the whole house of cards of the entire Egyptian story they've been telling themselves falls apart. This is why they don't want to change it. Yeah, not just a thousand years. It doesn't matter if you just move it a a couple of centuries, if the whole story falls apart. So there, you know, it's not that's what makes the whole the whole thing so interesting, because people have asked me like, well, what's the big deal? Like, why not just say, okay, so it's older than they thought. No, you can't do that because they have this entire timeline of people and kings and pharaohs and whose son was whose son and who built what when and what's connected to what. And if you pull the Sphinx out of that mix, the whole story falls apart because it's at the very bottom in terms of the timeline.
3: Yeah, I mean, I find that problematic in a couple of different ways. So from doing research on the ancient Greeks and the pre-Socratic Greeks, that's like, starts around 600 BC, somewhere around there. We're talking 2500 BC. And if they have a hard time piecing together who's was whose dad in ancient Greece and how long each person lived and different things, it's crazy to think that even... The ancient Egyptians, yeah, they had hieroglyphs, but the Greeks wrote stuff down too, and they had yep. certain things as well, that it's not as certain when you look into that kind of like, especially the philosophy and who said what and who was whose teacher and how long each person lived. So the fact that ancient Egypt is so set in stone, no pun intended, is, <laughs> is <laughs> crazy to me to just not at least be open-minded that you could find something that would contradict what we know or something along those lines. Right yeah. and and so they get the king
2: they get the king's secession of the, the secession of pharaohs from the king's list, right which is you know Egypt has quite a few of those and they all they, most of for the most part they all the different versions work with each other. they sort of overlap and there's you know in some cases there's anomalies in various ones, but for the most part they all, all the different versions they found agree with each other, right. But right. the problem is is that they only that modern Egyptologists only accept like the the last part of the list. The most recent part, because mm-hmm. the Egyptian king list actually k- records kings going all the way back for 30 or 40,000 years or more. Yeah, it's like the
3: Sumerian kings list.
2: That's exactly right. There are patriarchal lists that are, exist from uh, the, some of these most ancient cultures. The Sumerians had them, the Egyptians had them, and even the, the biblical patriarchs in some cases follow this same thing, that people lived longer, they had mu- So you look at the Sumerian king list, and it's claiming that somebody so-and-so reigned for 36,000 years. Well, that's like, been uh, used
3: for a lot of the ancient alien stuff the sumerian one and the egyptian turin king list i believe is because that's the one that shows older as well i believe
2: and also in the pyramid text it yes. has them yeah so
3: <laughs> you look at those and they're kind of used by people that are like oh see you know aliens did genetically alter humans for sure or whatever the case <laughs> may be which is yeah. obviously i think a, a strike against it; those list terms of when people bring them up, they're kind of it's kind of like a fringe thing. It's not really considered, oh, like what you're saying, taken seriously for the thirty or forty thousand year mark or whatever. Right.
2: Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not invoking aliens again. I'm just saying, like, yeah, you did. I heard
3: you. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Damn it, guys, on to me. Uh, yeah, so, but if you if we're going to take the Egyptians at their word. Uh, but not this part is you know what i'm saying it's like you're presenting you're presenting right. something as evidence and then saying but just ignore all of this over here sure. but take all of this so seriously that you can't question it yeah yeah but not this part it's it's
3: it's <laughs> the it's the common theme though i mean what you're talking about is uniformitarianism which is that John Anthony West talked about it a lot that there's this idea that everything progresses and everything evolves in a linear line and we know that to not be true for the most part. And even if you look throughout, well, they clearly do stuff. We didn't well, we and there's, can't figure it out. Yeah. You look at the <laughs> Yuga cycles and there are moments of time where there's golden eras and bronze eras, and periods of enlightenment and different things. And then you get like the dark ages where not much is written, not much is, to, you know, move, move the needle or anything like that. So, um, I have no doubt that the uniformitarianism Timeline things pretty much just a tool for academics, basically,
2: yeah, yeah, and the other thing I've been asking myself recently too, this idea of recorded history and how civilization begins with some with a people who write you know mm-hmm. who people people so a civil like for a long time the recognition recognition of a civilization is did they write things down you know of an advanced civilization, right? So Sumer and Egypt, this is why they're considered the first major civilizations, because they have lots of writing. But what if that's actually, what if it's, you know, if you look at the Yuga idea, and then a lot of ancient texts, very ancient texts and myths talk about the advent of writing as being an actual negative thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what if, and so combining that with the Yuga cycles, I've been wondering if writing is the result of a lessening of consciousness to a Mm -hmm. point where we needed it maybe so the beginning of writing is actually the beginning of the end of real civilization just like john anthony west would say
4: yeah and in that <clears throat> just to connect that to the king's list if there was a period long ago where we were more enlightened in terms of uh, consciousness and we didn't need writing and say you could transfer your your consciousness in some way to to your son or to your predecessor that could be a reason why the kings lists have these ridiculously long periods of one king, because it's it's sort of like the same person. consciousness yeah. running the civilization sure. for how many thousands of years, like and an of course,
3: archetype of a person that's being passed down. Basically. That's right. Yeah,
4: and 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 you could imagine, perhaps if you you know sort of maybe a utopian idea, but if we had that ability. Maybe our civilizations would last much longer and through all these cataclysmic changes that happen periodically in Earth history. So you could have a king ship that lasts for thirty six thousand years. even though the structures might get destroyed, the land gets wiped out, the people die, the consciousness that's part of the you know the the civilization continues and rebuilds and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Just going out on
3: a limb No, that's great. That's a great point. I mean, I think about that, too. I also think about time and time dilation and how time is affected by certain things and maybe cataclysms, maybe positions within the universe. And I don't know. Do you guys know, like, the atomic clock experiment with time dilation? Tell me about it. So if you drop a clock, these atomic clocks, it's, like, super, super accurate – you drop one higher up in the atmosphere, and you drop one lower in the atmosphere, and they fall down. The one that's closer to the Earth speeds or slows down. So, basically, the more gravity there is, the more time slows down. Yeah. So we're yeah. if you think about time from the aspect of you, you ever hear about Einstein's like thought experiments where how long if a rocket went light speed they you know the distance for each of them it would be different amount of years for the speed that it's traveling at so yes yeah time dilation for sure so so i think about that too is there's a couple different things that maybe time is shifted at some point through some sort of cosmic event number one number two maybe time was just calculated differently because we know what the sumerians based everything off of 60 and then later on we got our calendars and everything from the was the Gregorian calendar or something that's like the modern one. Um, so just the I look at time too and it's connected to consciousness in the sense that we use it as a tool to divide up our days, divide up tasks, divide up whatever. And what does it say in the Bible? Like Moses lived to be what? yeah yeah, 600
4: 600 yeah so
3: so what's going on there did you really live to be 600 years or is it something like you're talking about where it was that consciousness of that person or that archetype or did was something weird going on or who knows i don't know i've been looking into a lot of possible explanations for stuff like that and
2: we so one of the one of the mysteries that we look at a lot and we have discussed this quite a bit on the podcast is the confusion of tongues Mm-hmm. Uh you know, most in the Bible it's referred to as the fall the, the Tower of Babel, that that incident, mm-hmm. right? Uh but it's it's referenced in myths throughout the world called the confusion of tongue or the confusion of lip, uh you know, the loss of some kind of language that were basically before this happened, everyone could communicate and then afterwards we were all split into these little groups, splinter groups, that were separated by language barriers. That's a really strange thing to have in a myth. Like, what, what, what exactly are we talking about here? Right. You know, no pun yeah. intended. Uh, but like, <laughs> what, what, what happened there? And and you know, there, there, are, it's it's really strange. So there you've got that, and then you also have, uh, b- then you have this this thing they refer to the deluge, the destruction of the world, the the flood, the whatever, fire and ice. And before that, yeah. it's it's always before that last destruction, that human life was a lot longer. Or was considered to have lasted a lot longer. So the biblical, the Old Testament biblical patriarchs, there were eight of them, and they all had very long lives, all the way up to the last, you know, to 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 Noah, and that was it. Yeah, Noah was the last one. Noah was the last one after (laughs) that, and then it even says in the Bible, you know, there's a quote where, where God actually says, "Now man's, you know, his days will be limited to 120 years." And and like, no one in ancient times that we know of lived 120 years. Right, people died much younger than that, but that's the. Some people lived the...
3: old, though. I think it was a Pepe the Second Pharaoh of Egypt lived to be ninety-nine years or like a hundred years old, and he was still right. he was still leading the uh, army, which right. is crazy.
4: I, th- I think what you meant was the the, like mortality rates were in terms of like yes. looking ancient
3: right. Ancient I, wa- I wonder about that though too, because I Great. mean I read like you look at it, like yeah. ancient, longevity ancient, ancient yeah. Asia or ancient Asians too. A lot of those people lived to be super old too. So it's right, like, and they also have legends of people that were
2: practically immortal, lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. So you know, I, I mean, I ways. get what
3: you're saying. I think you're, what you're saying is back then there wasn't as much medicine and stuff, so the chances are, you. But there would be a few of those people that would sneak past and like make it to be, <laughs> yeah. you know, super old without needing all that medicine, whether it be antibiotics or whatever. So
2: right, but is it? But is but when. What I'm saying is, is that what in some cases what the myths seem to do is paint a picture of a pre you know, an anti world before the destruction, mm-hmm. where everyone just lived a long time. Not, not, not just certain people or certain favored people or certain right. patriarchs or certain chosen ones of God, but everyone had long lives. And then there was this enormous cataclysmic change, and that that didn't just wipe the face of the earth and like and kill a whole bunch of things and everything, but it also c- it it drastically changed the entire cosmic environment you know i mean like it made enormous changes to the atmosphere it yeah. uh, or and maybe if the sun was involved like robert Schock thinks if the sun changed also then that changes all kinds of like of of energetic things that are happening to our planet that sure. you know and t- just in terms of yeah. solar radiation most people die from cancer of some form mm-hmm. failure of failure of of, of tissue to regenerate Due to, can- due to cancer, which is usually due to a... Uh, telomeric degradation. Yeah, like, well, yeah, telomeric degradation, but also mutation due to radiation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're all being bombarded by radiation all the time, and most of it comes from the sun, but there's a lot that comes out of stone. All, you know, right. all of, all rock has, granite, has a certain amount of... Granite. Yeah, has it has radon in it. Yeah. So we're all being bombarded by radioactive particles all the time, but if there was a a period in the past where our atmosphere was thicker or the magnetosphere was stronger and it protected us more from solar radiation maybe we did live for hundreds of years and it wasn't a big deal i mean it isn't that hard to believe yeah. uh, i i have a i have a little trouble with thinking that somebody lived for 36000 years <laughs> right but i don't have a problem with humans on average living for several centuries sure you yeah. know and so so you change the environment and, oh, no, and that what could, happens. Could, right exactly we just don't know because it's not the environment we're in now. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: yeah. 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 I think, um, I, th- that's what I, I think about that stuff a lot too. And I think a lot of it comes down to, we have no idea what these people's consciousness was like, or what the living conditions on the, the earth were like at that time. So it's right. really hard to go back and piece these things together. So I think it just keeps bringing it back to the point. Like, what do we really know and how do we really know it? And I think it's, well, we can only follow the story that we know.
0: Life might have right. been who knows what back then. So, but yeah, what I, I just, think,
3: I think having that narrative is easier for people, though, or to teach people to move society along. I think, in some regard, I mean, I, we all want to know the truth, and there's some people that don't care about the truth. So, it's this weird thing where you have some people, maybe even, I guess, most of this stuff's considered esoteric. So, that means that not many people are really gaining access to it or at re- least interested in it. So, most people are just content living their day-to-day life and not worrying about where do we come from or what happened 10,000 years ago or whatever the case may be. So I think it's easy for these narratives to be pushed because people are more likely to follow that lifestyle, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. And I, and that's also part of the driving force for me in terms of where do we come from and what's going on is I think that's, that's the only thing we should be trying to figure out. Mm you know i graham talks about we are a species with amnesia and it's like if what what, imagine yourself you wake up somewhere uh, you just wake up in a room and you don't know who you are and you don't know what you're doing there and you don't know where you are what is the first thing you start doing trying to figure all those things out right
0: because if you don't
4: just go get a job go get a job
0: (laughs) hit the bar on the way home well that's 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 the exact point though it's (laughs) <laughs> it's the booze and all that stuff, man, and people are content with just going to the bar, going to their day jobs, watching the TV, and yeah. Ignor- is ignorance bliss? I don't know. Yeah,
1: I, think, I, I
3: think it can be. I mean, yeah. it depends through, on what kind of life you want to lead, I've gone though. through my phases. I don't know how
0: fulfilling that life is. I mean, earlier know? in
3: my life, in my early 20s, I was fine with just partying and going out. And Well, that's the thing, though, how fulfilling was that life? Oh, yeah, I mean, it teaches you. You still learn, but I, I wouldn't say it's... Fulfilling in the sense of like doing this podcast or doing research or really going down a rabbit hole. There's something special about finding like a new topic or a new book and really going deep on it and, and putting pieces together and finding new things and trying to find things that people haven't even found before, which I think we've done a few of those on a couple of our podcast episodes. And when it happens, you feel like that feels good. And I've never heard anybody talk about that. But at the same time, you know, you you got to appreciate the people that are out there that are doing all this research and putting these pieces together, like you say Graham Hancock and Robert shock and these people that are also going out on a limb that their lives would be easier if they just went with the flow of academia or being a journalist or writing a book and a mainstream book or whatever the case may be. Um, and that, yeah, that's well, why yeah, would...
0: it's good. It's good to create this content and yeah, inspire people, whether it be a podcast or I know you guys are into music. We're in music too. And, I I do some comedy stuff, but just just getting people to think about different things, like you were saying, thinking outside the box is what it's all about. At least for yeah. me,
2: that's what it's all about. And it, it's it's the the mystery of our of of human origins, and then of course the origins of everything. Just like what's going on, like where did yeah. all this stuff come from? You know, you 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 go outside, even if you're just a and this used to happen to me. You know, I was used to party. You go outside to have a smoke, and you look up at the sky at night, and you're like, "What the fuck is oh, going yeah. on out here? You know, <laughs> what, what is all that stuff, right? You know?" And I mean, like, yeah, okay, it's stars, or whatever. But still, you look out and you see at night, you see the universe, and you can't help but say, "What is out there, right?" So even people who don't necessarily dive into all this stuff, you have this connect. You th- there's a connection with the mystery, and I think this is part of like. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why ancient civilization or ancient peoples were fascinated with astronomy is because the night sky. Imagine the night sky when there was no light pollution. Oh, you know? it's, it's and, confronting uh, you. It's like yeah. staring up at a
3: mountain, or even more intense. You know, right? You look up there, and you're like, "What is all that stuff? You
2: know, what's that river going across the sky made of that white milky stuff? Like, mm-hmm. what is all this? What am I looking at here?
0: You know, well, what that's are those really bright too, ones? Because the move- more the more we learn about it, then the more we actually realize that it just keeps going further and further. Because like <laughs> right. you, you can't even see past the Milky Way from, you know, with your naked eye.
2: Right. Yeah, and then so. we get stuff that allows us to look a little bit deeper, and we see a bunch of more dots. And then we get stuff right. that allows us to look a lot deeper, and we find out that those dots are actually made up of billions of other dots.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> and you're just like,
0: what is going on?
3: And now they're what saying all, the, the all same... these dots are contained in a bubble, and there's millions of bubbles. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Kicking the can sound. down the road. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, can't, I, I think stuff's weird. I mean, I don't know. I like to, um, have you, I don't know if you guys talk about this or you ever done it, but you guys have ever done like psychedelics and stared up at like the night sky or anything like that. Oh yeah. 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 I have before. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. yeah. It's, it's it's pretty intense. And it it's is intense. To, it's hard not to... But again, I don't even think you need that. You, know? it's a, you don't need it. It's a powerful but, drug all on its own. But I made this point in the last episode. There's something, and there's a reason why we do a decent amount of our episodes on psychedelics. There's something to be said about the fact that you can walk around in an altered state of consciousness that allows you to think outside the box that your normal consciousness won't allow you to do no matter how hard you try or practice meditation or lucid yep. dreaming or whatever it is. There's something about taking the substance that you can't, once it's in you, it's it's not over till it's over and you have to just ride it out. But it's forcing you to, to it's, it's forcing you to look inwards. It's forcing you to examine your surroundings. It's forcing you to kind of take everything in. And um, I don't know. I think it's, it's super, I've been looking through a lot of these ancient civilizations and looking at the inspiration for a lot of stuff, whether it be geometry, Structures, different things. And I have no reason not to believe that psychedelics had a huge influence, whether it had been soma, uh, Kikien, um which would be the Greek Eleusinian mystery drink or wine or whatever they were mixing, which they think had claviceps purpurea, which is ergot, which is the precursor to LSD, um, which we know Plato, Pythagoras, Socrates, Aristotle all took part in those things. Um, you look at the, symb- the symbology in ancient Egypt, you've got the blue lotus, which is a uh, hallucinogen or hypnotic hallucinogen with aporphine as its active psychoactive ingredient. Uh, in ancient Egypt, you also have a lot of acacia, uh, yep. which can be extracted. If, if you mixed acacia with syrian rue, which is both are super prevalent in that area, that's Middle Eastern ayahuasca right there. So,
1: Yeah. Wow. I and mean, then, of course, I there's
3: all the
2: drugs— yeah, there's also the cocaine mummies. So, you know, Egyptians, they like their smokes and blows.
3: <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. They found... Uh, <laughs> they were having
0: a good time, too.
3: They yeah, found yeah. traces of cocaine. <laughs> and, uh, I forgot about that.
0: <laughs> Just imagine what that looked like. But I'm not saying that drugs
3: are the are the beginning of it all, but I do think that when you're looking... F- I've been trying to get down to, like I said before, studying the mind and, like, inspiration and where how people come to some of these thoughts and where what's truly original if you look at the truly original artists a lot of them have used psychoactive substances whether it be musicians whether it be i mean some of our favorite we toured around following fish they're super Uh, psychedelic (laughs) heavy band and same thing with grateful dead jimi hendrix you name it super psychedelic stuff and i love all that kind of stuff so i mean that's just my i've been looking into these ancient civilizations and i've been finding a lot of correlations to inspiration and you know, when you go into a super deep psychedelic trip, it's hard not to see shape geometric shapes, triangles, those kinds of things. So right. It makes you, you want to patterns S- and snakes. snakes yeah. Are. I told you earlier yeah. the snakes oh. for sure. Old colexal. These are some of the most primitive images, but they're also some of the most powerful ones as well. So
4: yeah, I don't doubt that, um, that, you know uh, psychedelics played a role in in a lot of these ancient cultures uh, it's hard to say how much of their philosophy of life or anything like especially when it comes to you know there's a lot of stuff around that looks like it was an engineering school where nobody was doing psychedelics you know yeah, <laughs> like that's right. they were making precision tools and stuff right. and maybe they did on their on their time off but there's no to, to my knowledge there's no you know like i guess in south america there's there's an ancient tradition of the ayahuasca stuff but then there's just all these structures up in the andes that like who built this
3: stuff yeah and where, well i mean you could really... talk to to randall about this i'm sure you guys do that cosmographia podcast with randall yeah. carlson hiram abiff the architect of king solomon's temple i mean you look yep. at masonic symbology there's the acacia branch right yep acacia is one of the most is the highest containing plant that has dmt in in that region i'm pretty sure um and i know that we're gonna have this guy on here this weekend but uh, pd newman he wrote a book called alchemically stone that talks about freemasonry and the ancient history with psychedelics and stuff like that too so i do think there is some sort of play there like you said there it's not probably fundamental and all that but if you look at some of the secret mystery schools and stuff like that i do believe these things play a role especially in ancient egypt where you see the blue lotus on like tons of things
4: yeah and i can i can totally see how the the language of symbolism could have been derived from the the hallucinogenic experience Hmm. Uh, because because of like you're saying all the geometry all of the you know, you know, you're looking at the sky and and, and you see these forms or, yeah, or a primordial plant.
2: archetypes.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So so it it makes sense that you could you can like the the strange symbolism that is a language that it, that sort of like, you know, the Masonic tradition carries on um, even into hieroglyphics like that type of written language could have been inspired by hallucinogenics That seems totally plausible to me yeah,
3: yeah I, I i like i said i think it's it's you said partially responsible or has a hand in it i like to th- find different purpose and why we're we assign meaning to things but wh- who came up with the meaning and why so i yeah i think that's a fascinating topic so and i also think that just like with any other
2: uh i don't know talent just like there are certain people who are just brilliant mathematicians or just a prodigy in music, there are people that show up that are geniuses when it comes to spiritual understanding or whatever you would want to call it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And those people are the ones that end up, I would assume those people are the ones that end up leading other people to those same kind of revelations, just like a brilliant martial artist or piano teacher or whatever will try to teach. Mm Mm-hmm. You always, you know, somebody who has an h- enormous skill like that, they do a lot of, quote-unquote, performing, but they also end up having a school. Uh, and so I imagine that, you know, th- those kind of people show up on occasion, a few of them every generation, that have this uh, have this ability with seeing the world mm-hmm. through the lens of what we— So what, what most of us have to take psychedelics in order to achieve, these people can do it all the time. Sure. Yeah. Um,
3: so— I think it's possible. I, I I do think though. I mean, when you really do them right, though, once in a while, and it's not something you do regularly, I do think there's something that propels you from those. Exp- it's not just in the experience either. It's it's the feeling that it gives you afterwards, and the the outlook on what you need to get done going forward, and things you need, you know, your th- things that inspired you. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. There's definitely geniuses out there that. Have a knack for certain things, but I was just talking about when we were talking about like geometry and pyramids and basic buildings and and temples and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess what I'm I'm, like, I'm Pythagoras, yeah, no, I was just talking about like Pythagoras, you know, or yeah, um, Euclid, or these guys that came up with the basic forms of geometry. Well, we know the ancient they went to Egypt and were taught there, but how in depth were the Egyptians with that? I'm sure they were amazing since they were amazing builders. Is it the same thing as, in terms of symbolisms, like one means one, or is one just the number? Do you know what I'm saying? Like they would count one or two as two ones, that type of a thing. They're not really looking at it from uh, the same standpoint that we look at math today. If you if you get what I'm saying.
2: Yeah, I I guess what I do get what you're saying. I think yeah, and I think that 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 Pythagoras and Euclid, these guys made, you know, they went and learned something that came from some deeper some much more ancient mystery school. And then they put their, then they came back to Greece and they put their, not spin, but they put their own flair onto it. And right. that's what ends up into Western culture and eventually evolves into what we know as modern mathematics or, you know, modern chemistry, right. alchemy, all that stuff comes from Egypt. But they themselves claimed that it came from much older traditions. Right. Right. And so what I'm, what I was saying about the people who were geniuses I, is I'm saying that I think that even these mystery
3: schools, they must have originated somewhere. Sure they have to have started from some yeah. somewhere. Well, I mean, Terrence McKenna takes the stuff for the psychedelic stuff. He goes back to our transition into homo, homo sapiens and, you know, the plains of Africa, there's cow patties everywhere. Yeah, stone and, dape. Yeah. Stone dape theory. I'm not and, and <laughs> yeah. I don't go by the stone dape theory. as like take it as with a grain of salt. Like it could have been a contributing factor, maybe adding to visual acuity and, and, maybe enhancing certain aspects of our lives but um it's it's hard to dismiss the mushroom thing cuz they grow on every continent and they're pretty prevalent everywhere so, yeah
2: yeah but i also i also like the idea and this is i say like because i don't know i don't think this is i'm not saying this is true but i like so this idea so you're saying it's true <laughs>
0: Let me make this clear here.
2: Let me make this clear. This is totally the truth, guys. (laughs) You truth seekers out there. Uh, But I like the idea that it's more than we just found the mushroom in some...
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. some uh, guy
2: ate it and was like, whoa, dude. And then he showed it to his, his friend explodes, and he ate yeah. some too. Yeah, yeah I,
3: I don't believe that either. I'm just saying I think that when you when you look at ins- – I'm talking about creativity, and I think our purpose on this planet is to create. That's my personal belief, whether it's other people, art, music, whatever it may be. I think that's our purpose. Keep If you believe – hypothetically that there is some creator God or one consciousness or whatever, you would want that thing to spread out and be as original as possible and spread out as far as possible. And everything's experience things, everything's an offshoot of something else. And I think that with psychedelics, it allows you to break free from the copying off of each other or maybe taking too much of this last guy's ideas, that kind of a thing. It allows you to think outside the box where normally your day to day consciousness might keep you contained and and maybe not as an open mind to new ideas or groundbreaking ideas, that kind of stuff. But again, there's geniuses out there that don't need it too. So
2: yeah, it does definitely cause neuroplasticity. I I think that's where where basically you can whole pathways, whole new pathways can be generated in your Mm -hmm. ways of thinking. And I, I agree with that too. I I guess what I'm talking about is the, the very ancient um, sort of maybe shamanic concept that it is the spirit realm that gets us involved in these things, right? Mm-hmm. When they, when people have been asked, you know, well, how did you how did you guys know how to make this ayahuasca brew? And they're like, well, the plants told us, right? <laughs> right. That, that's what I mean. Like the plant, that the, 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 there's something in the natural world that is not physical, that nevertheless interacts with us on a daily basis. And, w- and some people are better at paying attention to it than others. Right. And those people end up being the shamans or the people who are being abducted by UFOs
3: or whatever, you know. that the, <laughs> they, the and they thin thin have their lines. toolboxes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> The ancient handbags, the ancient Gucci's. <laughs> <That's> yeah. <right. laughs> yeah, that one's still baffled. I think that's probably, to me, you were asking me what's the greatest mystery earlier or whatever. I think that's the greatest mystery, what's in the bags. It's found everywhere. Yeah. It's found, found in ancient aboriginal artwork. It's found, um, who, there's a guy, uh, we've had him on the show before, he wrote a book, Into Africa, Bruce Fenton. I don't know if you guys have heard yeah. of him. So yep. he, he's got a website. He has a lot of good stuff on there on what he thinks it could be or what that is. But um, Graham Hancock thinks it's a bag containing psychedelics of some sort that would be them carrying knowledge to the civilizations, which is kind of the basis of a little bit of what I was just talking about um, or inspiration. But um, and then you've got other people that say, oh, it's just seeds because that was the beginning of. You know, agriculture agriculture yeah. animal husbandry that kind of stuff um I don't know some people somebody commented that it was, there were buckets of water and that's how they would in the desert that the, they would reflect the light from the stars to create certain structures and different things I've heard all sorts of different theories so
2: yeah i I have thought before I ever heard the manbag thing I did think that they were buckets I thought that they were it's look because a lot of them are also yeah, some holding of them this do, yeah yeah right yeah it, and it's yeah, so I think, you know, we're looking at fruit of knowledge and water of life or something like that. And again, those are symbols, and I don't know what they mean, but...
3: Well, the Sumerian uh, ones, the tree of life, is Homa, which is... We're gonna, we're making a movie, like a short movie on this right now. I'm working on it. But Homa and Soma split off during the Indo-Iranian um, migration. So you had the people that went into uh, North west india from the top of the uh, caspian sea and then you had the other people that went down into modern day iran and the split off they both had this word homa and then one split off the iranians called it haoma and the indian people called it soma and soma is obviously if you've read yeah, I don't know if you know much, but it's the ancient concoction. Nobody really knows what it is. Some people. No know one knows what it is. Yeah. Some people yeah. Have think it's a mushroom. Some people think it's a mixture of like ephedra, cannabis, and right. tobacco. I have. We're gonna. Like I said, we're gonna make a movie on this because I, I have a, my own take on it. But the the point being is that these were. I mean, the basis for the Rig Veda, which is the most ancient written texts that we know of. And then Mm -hmm. the Iranians came up with the Avesta, which is the book of Zoroastrianism, which is the longest running religion, continuously running religion, I think to this day. So, yeah. um, Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's some interesting stuff, but the, the, the point being is these things all come from one place. And I think that's, in a bigger picture, what we keep talking about is everything comes from this one source. What is this thing? Is it this, like you said, connection to some sort of spiritual realm or the universe or something like that? Is it, you know, I, I know you brought up Laird Scranton. His theory is, is there's these two realms there's the yes. realm that we live in now, and then there's this spiritual or non material realm. And the, every once in a while, these two realms get closer and closer and closer together. And there's this like bridge thing that happens. And when the bridge things happens, it's almost like a golden era where more knowledge is passed over, more stuff is getting done, that kind of stuff. And then it floats back out and it's the cycle. And that's pretty much the basis for most of his book and books and research. But um, yeah, I don't know what to think. I'm, I like to think of myself as a spiritual person. I meditate and stuff. It's just hard to, really know what's going on it's it's yeah it's a real big it's a real mind fuck for sure it's a mind escape yeah i love that yeah i'd like to think of myself as a spiritual person i meditate and stuff i do <laughs> well i, I grew up i grew up uh the going definition. to cat i grew up going to catholic school so i've had the other end of it too but yeah uh there's something about going to church and i don't know one day you wake up and you're like what's going on here really so yeah yeah, it, the path must be followed wherever it leads. Well, you're going to tell me a book's 100% fact when 30 people wrote it, things have been taken out, things have been added, Council of Nicaea, yep. all that stuff. So, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I woke up one day and like, started questioning stuff, and here, yep. here we are. Here we are. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think that uh, going back to what are the greatest mysteries, what we've talked a lot on this on our podcast about, uh, about the agriculture problem. Yeah. Um, we, we call them the, the, the triple A's of ancient civilizations that you've got architecture, agriculture, and astronomy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And those are the things, those are the three things we see that they did. You know, those are the things that are left to us. And we, they had obviously many more things than that, but a lot of times all that we can, all that's left is what we see is their architecture and that they were doing agriculture and then the astronomy. And so, Agriculture is a huge mystery. Uh, it's still not clear how it was d- done uh, in terms of domesticating, cro- plant turning wild plants into domestic crops, and turning wild animals into domestic ones to the point to where you change their t- to the, to where you change their morphology to where they look different than the original wild animal. This is not a tr- a trivial thing, you know. And Kyle and I've gone back and forth on like how. Imagine you're a hunter-gatherer people, and you decide you want to be farmers. There's, no, there's nothing to farm, because everything is wild. So wh- how do you start? How do you turn that wild grass into, giant, you know, into fields of wheat? No right. one knows the answer to this question. No one knows how this was done. And there's lots of evidence that it was done very quickly in some cases. I mean, you know, because because as like we have we've been doing farming and doing orchard and vineyard stuff for the past four years. This is not an easy job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's incredibly hard. And if you're starting out with a with a crop that's wild, that can't really feed you and you're like and you go with the standard model idea, which is that they called it, you know, and they kept getting they kept replanting and replanting the better stuff until until eventually you have this sort of this sort of mutation that that happens over time. You know, like how they talk about breeds of dogs. You yeah. know, how do you how do you start with a wolf and end up with a pug? Right. How did this happen? Yeah. Who did this? Right. How do you how do you how do you domesticate an orox into cattle?
3: Well, do you think you know, though they what? took like uh, like wheat? Like they go, oh, this is wheat. We like this, so let's take the seeds from this, start throwing it in the ground and clear out areas i mean i don't know that's just what yeah I,
2: but the problem is is that with the 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 native grasses that we know that that almost all the wheat in the world comes from is these native grasses in the area around turkey gobekli tepe area you can't eat that stuff it isn't yeah, it's like
0: different genetics or whatever
2: how did they turn that grass into wheat and if they did it in the way that the center model says it takes generations right. and, it, and so you plant a whole field of grass that you can't eat and then the next year you plant an entire other field of grass that you still can't eat, and maybe your grandchildren will be able to have wheat. You, that's not sustainable. You have to eat
3: now, right? Uh-huh. So how? Well, I mean, how we've did this created happen? things like do you, I don't know. Most people don't know this, but broccoli and um, Brussels sprouts are forms of cabbage. You can't find those in the wild on their own because it's something that we've created. Right. Like, yeah. They're genetic variations of cabbage
0: yeah uh, so
2: so
3: i would maybe mid- even look into that and maybe that's like a primitive version of what they did with that then
0: right
2: and and again that, that's something that's happening i'm assuming that's are you talking about that's something that happened recently or well uh, yeah not- i
3: mean i don't i i'm and i'm sure i don't know if i gotta have to look, i don't even know remember where i heard this but i, I remember thinking that's and then looking it up and you can't. I don't, I'm pretty sure you can't find cauliflower and Brussels sprouts in the wild that are not part of some right. sort of like farm. Or... Okay,
2: yeah. So the question then is, how old are they?
1: Right. How long have you yeah. been
2: growing them? And then, then you, and then if you find out that they're thousands of years old, you're like, okay, who did that? Right. <laughs> Where did bananas come from? Right. You know yeah. what? Uh, ban- yes. Bananas are not wild plants. You know, and then there's also corn, maize. This is a, you know, this was a staple throughout the ancient world, and there isn't anything like that that's wild. Right. So where did they come from? And and if it happened thousands of years ago, and we don't know how it happened, you, you 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 have to start thinking about how advanced were they really? You know, there's two ways to go. Did they have high technology, or were they or or were they manipulating the plants on some completely other level? Were talking you, to this, talking you, to the spirits
3: of the yeah, plants. you brought up Viracocha and uh, Quetzalcoatl earlier, and both of yeah. those guys brought animal husbandry. Agriculture and taught the people not to sacrifice each other and to sacrifice flowers or whatever instead. Right. Said. Exactly. So I mean, who is this Viracocha? Who is this Quetzalcoatl? Right. Didn't I mean? They're I think sh- doesn't Graham Hancock say he's different than the people, the native people too? Like he's <laughs> the native people say that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In their mythology, that he's, but in his book, he describes him almost as looking like what a Jesus archetype right. would look like:
2: tall, aquiline-faced, white yeah. guy. With beard with a long and native, beard. People, yeah, native people don't grow beards here in the in the Americas. Right, you don't have bearded people here, and then you've got but all throughout their most ancient mythologies, you've got these tall, robed bearded people that are moving around in their mythology, teaching them how to be civilized. It's very a very strange and interesting story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, you're right. So that the civilized, and even with the Greeks, I mean, if you're going through the Greek stuff, you've I'm sure you've run across Oannes, right? Mm-hmm. And Laird Scranton talks about him too. Comes out of the water. Right. Seems to be half man, half fish, that's how they describe him anyway. He teaches people how not to be cannibals and how to do how to build things and how to have a civilization and every night he goes back into the ocean. Right. Well, who is that? And that's and that's, and that's, that's also a um, beer of coach of foam at the sea comes out of the water right, teaches right. stuff and then leaves in the ocean again.
4: All right, right. I got to go back to the Brussels sprouts thing for a minute. <laughs> okay. So, so the origin of the cultivar is not exact, but the French coined the name in the 18th century. It was common to put a landmark on food. Whether they actually were developed in Brussels in Belgium is not certain. Mm. There are records of Brussels sprouts around uh, where Brussels is as far back as the 13th century. Okay. But uh, brassica, the cabbage family, vegetables are said to have been cultivated for thousands of years. The plants have a great tolerance to salt and limestone and other harsh soils. No one knows for sure where the, f- uh, the first plant started. These wild plants that resemble leafy kale were selected and crossbred to what has become the varieties we know today like cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, and Brussels sprouts. So, again, it was thousands of years ago, and they're just saying the standard model. Well, they, they kept crossbreeding yeah. them until they got this.
2: Right. This they thing. don't know. Right. So that's what I mean. Like, most of the stuff we eat, meat included, we don't know where it came from. Right. I mean, like, if I go out and shoot wow. a deer, you know, and I get some venison, that's one thing. That's a wild animal. That's that's a hunter-gatherer type of activity. Sure. But all the meat you buy in stores is is mostly domestic cattle or, you know, domestic animals. And then all the vegetables you buy in store are domestic crops. And we don't know where they came from or who invented them and how. Right. That's a yeah. huge mystery. And then we're also led to believe that this was done, uh, especially if you're looking at the areas of Jericho, Gobekli Tepe, 12,000 years ago. People just decided. Well, we're done walking around and picking pears off trees. Let's take off your
4: butt flap.
2: Take off your butt flap, and let's build this gigantic structure and turn all these animals into other animals that are easier to manage, and so we can eat them. Like, uh, but that we're supposed to believe sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and let's also invent beer. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Let's do all this because That's we'll being... be able to make beer. later.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well,
3: they or eat mushrooms, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those weird things that we obviously don't have an answer for. And but it,
0: but he's right; no one even thinks about that. stuff. But I
3: think though that the the animal husbandry in in the the agriculture oh. thing, I get what you're saying. I obviously it takes a long time, many generations. But I could see. I mean, people have pet wolves now. If you were to keep continuing to have pet wolves, and then your kids had that the offspring of those pet wolves, and then kept going down and down and down and down I could see where at some point you've basically got a husky
2: yeah see that's my except that hasn't happened that's the problem with that is that that it hasn't happened there's no
3: modern analog uh, there's
2: no modern analog in other words like people have pet wolves uh, you know but but I'm not
3: talking about like just a couple I'm talking about like a long succession of right but I get what you're saying so but I guess where are you going with this do you believe then that there's that there was all these different types of species and then not, let's say all dogs come from wolves or not all Brussels sprouts come from cabbage or do you get what I'm saying? Or like where yeah. are you going with that? Well, I, I think one of
2: the most interesting things to me, and this is something that I've been thinking about recently
0: before, like before very
2: recently, I would have just told you, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the answer is, but what I've been thinking about recently, because we've been talking to Randall a lot about the younger Dryas and about this, there was this humongous extinction event that happened there. Right. And then and then we already know because of Gobekli Tepe, like modern standard model science is showing us that agriculture starts right after the end of the younger dryas hmm. and all these all this this stuff appears that didn't exist before that. Well what if it did? You know how many plants go exist go extinct in a mass extinction event? A lot of them. Oh for sure. It, it was just harder to count those. How many insects go extinct in a mass extinction event? Probably Hundreds of millions of species. There's so many of them, right? Yeah, right. So we don't know, but if there were people who preserved, if in other words, if there was an advanced civilization before that extinction level event, and they preserved, like all the myths say, save this, save these animals and plants in the ark or in the whatever, in the in the Vara as the Zoroastrians did, you know, right, save them somehow. Yima, and then you show, yeah, Yima, and then you show back up afterwards and find the people who survived it, and then start teaching them how to be civilized and giving them agriculture. And what you're doing is giving them plants that were that were around before the d- extinction level event that do not exist anymore because they've gone extinct. Right. So that may be one of the answers is that they weren't turned into something from something else. Well, we've they just... got
3: that seed bank in, what is it, uh, Greenland or Iceland, one of those two? Right. Isn't, isn't there that seed bank where it's, it's the doomsday seed?
1: Yeah. Whatever. We've
4: got, we've got Doomsday Seed Bank, and we've got Moon Library.
1: Moon Library, yeah. <laughs> Perfect.
4: <laughs> We're gonna be fine.
1: Folks.
0: <laughs> everything. Unless that fine. place goes under.
3: And then we've but got yeah. the we got the vault behind the uh, Mount Rushmore too. Mm-hmm. God knows what's in that. Yeah, but that's
2: what I'm saying is like you think of all these myths and all these stories that where the the people number one are forewarned of some coming event that's going to destroy everything, and then they're told to save. All the animals and plants—not all the animals and plants in the world, but the ones that are good to eat, basically. Right, right. And yeah. and they, and they save those, and then they re-inject them into people, into civilization after the event is over. And so that's where I I've been thinking, like maybe a lot of these crop plants just are extinct versions of stuff that were around before, and that's why we can't find the original. Yeah. Or, that's a
1: good point.
3: Or, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's definitely interesting. I, I, I haven't studied too much of the agriculture side of the ancient civilization stuff, but I do find it interesting because you're right. I do think I've what were people eating. That's a huge, huge yeah. part of learning about people. Is I mean we do it three times a day. So
2: yeah, you gotta eat. <laughs> And when you have the bigger the, the bigger the group of people, the more food you need, and the harder it is to deal right. with that.
3: Especially if you're building megalithic structures and right. different crazy exactly. things. Yeah, who, and who
0: knows? The better stuff you eat, your brain might act differently. To, well, it does. So yeah, it if does. you're eating
3: better diets, your
0: brain is going to function better. Therefore, you come well, up with how better they ideas. Think have,
3: yeah, that's how they think we evolved from that shrew that we were initially said to be the earliest form of what we are now. It was a tree shrew that it was eating these sweet. Uh, fruit that had glucose, and then their brains started to get all this, you know, crazy. Yeah, they stuff. were getting high on sugar. Yeah, getting <laughs> yeah, high yeah. on sugar, and <laughs> and then we started to evolve from there. I mean, who knows? But, um, yeah, it's all interesting. Good I,
0: stuff, man. Good stuff.
3: I wanted to ask you though, what's your top theory of how the Great Pyramid was built, and do you think it was built by Khufu, or do you think since the only Proof that we have of that is the cartouche that looks, it's like basically graffiti. Yeah. Um, and the Y is graffiti. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, well, and the Howard Weiss thing blowing yeah. into yeah. it, the dynamite. But, um, so there's that. But what's your favorite theory on how that was built and when do you think it was built? I mean, I've looked into this, I've looked at the external ramp theory, the interior ramp theory. I think that's, um, Jean-Pierre Lupten's theory, the internal ramp theory. um, Or what do you, what's your theory? What what do you guys think happened?
4: Uh, Don't really know, but I I tend (laughs) to think that the, that it, it was probably multiple stages of construction, like so many other, um, you know, ancient monuments left. Uh, it could have been. I, I think that it was going to be involved in the original ground plan that included the Sphinx. Mm. So if the Sphinx goes back 12,000 years, I think that the that the ground plan for the for the Great Pyramid and the and the other two um, of that group of three are part of that ground plan. But specifically with the Great Pyramid, the, the interior structure is so strangely built compared to what's built around it uh it seems to me that that it may have been a totally different thing originally and 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 may have been i think uh, robert buval talks about this like like that it that uh the king's chamber the grand gallery and all of that stuff was originally astronomical observatory type of thing and then the pyramid structure was built around it later yeah is that buval I can't remember. I shouldn't
3: attribute a, it to. Him. I'm not sure, good. but yeah, it's. It, I I agree with the Kyle. watcher. The you. watcher just called. He said you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dang
4: it, watcher! Where the hell are
3: you when we need you? Cool. <laughs>
4: keeping my keeping my percentage up there. No,
3: it might be actually. I read one of his books, Black Genesis. I I'm sure it might have been in there somewhere. I forget, but
2: yeah, it's. So I don't. So I I don't know who built it uh or why i don't know what it is it's you look at it and you're like what is that thing mm -hmm. like what's it for you know you look at the interior stuff and you're just like this is hard to understand in terms of a it doesn't even look like yeah. yeah it doesn't even it doesn't even seem to fit the temple kind of it's not a place you go into to um like temples are where there are columns and they're they're sort of they're beautifully imposing, and it's not the same. It's something else.
4: I don't think it's a tomb. No, I don't think it was originally supposed to be a tomb. It may have. They, somebody may have come along and tried to make it a tomb. Uh, Intrusive burials, yeah. I don't think it was a tomb. I think it's possible that it was built and uh, it was repurposed, but not really sure about that either. It could have been all built by a single design for a single purpose. Um what about I definitely
3: twenty years? I, do you think it was built in twenty years? No, I definitely no think it
4: was older. I definitely think it's older than what the what the Egyptologists say. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I don't think it was built by a crazy pharaoh for a for a tomb. Like, hey, I wanna I wanna you know put my inter my body somewhere where nobody's ever gonna find me, so let's build the
3: biggest structure on the face of the planet. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> yeah. Genius idea,
3: Jansen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Well, I think though, like if you look at their connection to the stars and, and I don't necessarily think it's a tomb either, but if, if their connection to the stars, their fascination with death, we know that they would come. So the Egyptians, the afterlife, the book of the dead, they're talking about some sort of a meetup place once you die. So maybe that was the meetup facing Orion's belt, something like that. I could see something like that possibly, but, um, my, I've been, I've looked into a lot of different theories, but I like the one where, so the farmers that were also handy and skilled laborers would have nothing to do during the wet season when the Nile would flood. So you can't grow crops. You can't do stuff when that happens. So why not go, build this thing and you're right I have no idea what purpose it was built for either but it makes sense that instead of slaves instead of some large sum of people that were forced to do it or whatever the case may be to have these skilled masons and trade workers when they're during the wet season when the Nile would flood would go, then go to um, work on the Great Pyramid I think that would make sense to me
2: yeah well so I I can't I, I agree with you that they seem to have had a fascination with, I don't know if I like to say death, but with the transition from life into afterlife mm-hmm. probably is more like, you know, they, they weren't, uh, it wasn't about death to them as what It was about what happened after.
3: Well, death, rebirth and the yeah, scarab yeah. and all but, I get it. I'm just, I mean, what yeah. with dying, the process of dying and what happens where they obviously had strong beliefs that you go somewhere when you die. Yes. My my favorite so
2: what I'm getting at is my my favorite idea is that the dynastic Egyptians didn't build it. Mm-hmm. So so you can't really take any clues from their culture in terms of like what was it what was it built for. And actually what I really like and this is again I'm not saying I believe this I'm saying that this is mm-hmm. my favorite idea is that they found it uh pretty much just like it is. I mean, well, put the casing stones on. Maybe they added the casing stones and claimed themselves. Claimed it as their own. Well, not not even that, because what I Revere see, it, yeah, me, revered obviously. it. They 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 viewed it as a as a as a as a uh, a remnant of Zeptepi, right? The first right. time, the period of when the gods ruled the earth, or maybe the second period where it was the followers of the sons of Horus that were ruling everything. But because right. because what you see actually when you look everywhere else is you see this progression of little mastabas, right? And the mastabas are basically miniature pyramids. Right. And those are filled with dead people. Those were actually tombs. This is why there's this idea that the giant ones are just the kings, the, the the tombs of the big people. But what I actually like the idea of is that the dynastic Egyptians show up in this area and they see this gigantic thing and that what they think is that that's the, that's the home of the god or the tomb of the god or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they begin to bury themselves in little pyramids. I mimic, yeah. They're mimicking it, yeah. And then at some point, they find the entrance. But so if you look at the uh, the whole thing about going into the Great Pyramid, the first people in historical periods that penetrated into it, it was Al Mamun the Caliph, mm-hmm. and he blasted his way in, and he was kind of near where the entrance is, but he was off to the side a little bit and below it. And they blasted their way in, and they eventually they heard they heard b- giant blocks moving, they heard thundering noises. And so they they tunneled in that direction and found the descending passage. Okay, so they found the descending passage, and now now what you have, and there was so there's no evidence that that, that anybody had gotten up into the upper parts of the pyramid before that. Mm-hmm. So what I like the idea is the Egyptians, the ancient Egyptians, eventually found their way into the descending passage, and learned that instead of there being all this stuff in the structure, there was actually a tunnel that went way down into the ground, and there were a bunch of chambers down there, and then they started burying themselves. In long tunnels that went down in the ground with a bunch of chambers in them, like in the Valley of the Kings.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so sense.
2: You, so you see what I'm saying? At first, they're building little masabas, because they're right. copying what they think is the House of the God or whatever, and then when they find out that the House of God actually just goes down underground, then they start doing that when they bury themselves. Right. And mm. I, so yeah, I, I, I can see it's that a relic. Yeah. Right. I think that the pyramid and a lot of stuff in Egypt, the Serapium, and those boxes that are down in there, the Assyrian, uh, probably. The Assyrian yeah, the. <laughs> The Sphinx itself and the the Sphinx temple, all that stuff is so, relics of something much older.
3: The thing, though, too, is also when you look at what we, like I said, the, the graffiti of Khufu's cartouche in the Great Pyramid, that's the argument, right? That it's possible that he found it or he had his guys go in there and claim it as his own, which yeah. is a possibility. And then you have some people more conspiracy type people that will say, Oh, Howard Weiss went in there and did it cause he didn't want to go home empty handed or something yeah. along those I'm lines. I'm one of those people. I'm yeah. one of those people. Well, I'm not against that, but I'm just saying that's a little <laughs> bit more, I think dicey. I think it. if you wanted to say that, I think it would make more sense. Cause have they dated the, the die that that was used?
2: No, that's that's another problem. And that's why they flipped out when somebody took a sample of it. Oh. They oh. absolutely freaking flipped out when those German archaeologists took a sample of the dye and we're going to get it dated. Right. Yeah.
0: Of course they did. And it's <laughs> also interesting
2: that there are five relieving chambers, right, above the gra- above the king's chamber, those right. little relieving chambers. One had already been discovered. That's called Campbell's chamber. Zero cartouches or paintings or anything in it. Vise finds the next four, and that's where all of those things are. How convenient is that? Right. It's a little bit weird. So,
3: yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm again. Ate I hate th- to die. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think it's. I don't know why. Why wouldn't you have it tested? That doesn't make any sense. But um, well,
4: it can make sense.
3: Yeah, if it you, makes sense if, if, you, if you know. Yeah, if you <laughs> well, know uh, that brings up a bigger question: it. is how much is actually known, and that is kept private or secret or whatever.
2: Yeah, and also if you go through Vyse's, like, uh, his personal correspondence and his journals, it's weird, the timeline there. Like, he, he talks about getting in there, into those chambers, and there not being anything except a few very small, very incredibly faint marks on the walls. Right. That's what he talks about when he first breaks into those chambers. Right. Mm. So... It, it and, then seems...
4: he, and then he, like, fired his entire work crew right. and all
2: this kind he of stuff. gets a whole bunch stuff. of other dudes in there, and then all of a sudden you've got the he discovery. He of... finding everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: Right, right. So then the argument would be to that would what you're saying would support what you're saying, your theory, that it wasn't the dynastic Egyptians that built it, that it was either people of Zeb from the first time or possibly even other people that were maybe not there later on when yep. dynastic egypt was occurring it could have been some group that migrated there before that and left or yeah. got wiped out or whatever
2: you know there's some very interesting old arabic stories uh, mostly merchant stories journals and logs and stuff of merchant trains they were going back and forth uh hundreds of years ago um that talk about how so when they were moving through through the towards Cairo through that area and passing the pyramids. And this is when the casing stones were still on all of them, right? This is before the casing stones came off that, that two thirds of the way up of the, of the, of the big pyramids out there, the color changed mm. and it was the, it was a line. that was the same across all, even though all those pyramids are different heights, that right. line was at the same height across all and they called it the watermark. Yeah. So think about that, you know, that implies that those structures were underwater, at least for a, a, long enough to leave a mark on them, to where the, the, the casing stones above that were much wider. So. Right,
3: right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I, it's all this stuff's just so crazy to think about, because there is no real answer, and we might not ever get the truth. That's right. Yep. Maybe not in but our scan lifetime. Scan pyramids project! <laughs> <laughs> pyramids.
1: Come on. <laughs> Muons. Muons guys. from
3: space. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> with you see the, a lot of the LiDAR stuff. I know there's that one lady. I don't really like her opinions on things, but she's like an archaeologist that uses satellite imagery to find stuff. Oh, yeah. She's always getting into <laughs> fights with people on Twitter because she's, <laughs> she's so just woke. So Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's um,
2: what woke people do. How's that? Yeah, but... The more enlightened you are, the more fights you get in. Yeah, exactly. Right, guys? <laughs> Come on. Right, guys?
3: <laughs> and she's been proven wrong, too. She did one on... Uh, she f- thought she found some early Viking settlement on the East Coast. I think... Not the Newfoundland one, but a little bit more inward. I forget where. It was in, I think, Canada, near the East Coast somewhere. And she was pushing that that it was the earliest Viking settlement or something and it, it ended up not being, but um, it just goes to show you that there is this, again, the academic thing, they're pushing their ideas. They want it to be true as look, if you were to write, like, let's say I wrote a book tomorrow and I had a theory and I'm going to push that theory. That's just what you do. It's human nature. It's cognitive bias. It's confirmation bias. It's the way we're kind of programmed is to get what we think is the truth across. So, In this forum that we talk about all these ancient civilizations ancient structures all this stuff we're just pushing different narratives and we nobody really has an idea because we don't have a time machine we can't go back two thousand years we can't go back five thousand years we can't go back ten thousand years so it's all just a guess but i do think that there's more educated guesses to be listened to to be found than what's going on right now
4: Yeah. The most frustrating thing to me about it is, is the blockades that are enforced to keep uh, other scientific disciplines from coming in and doing their work and their special, you know, their their specialty work on this, you know, greatest mystery of our, of our past. Like why would you not allow that to happen? And that's, you know, it it just seems nefarious, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they, The story, the story that they're telling themselves is more important than the truth. Yeah, that seems like the only reason why you would not allow
2: um, physicists or that. It seems uh, like you're that they're not actually curious. That's that's what I mean. Yeah. Right. That they're not looking for the truth They're It's so. Yeah. Yeah.
4: You're right that we are all like I have. I have a way that I, you know, like to look at these various ideas that I like and some of them, I'm, I'm more prone to to believe than others. But, but you're open like, to
3: be you're open to being wrong, though, right? Right, and especially yeah. it's like if
4: if there's somebody with a no. with a <laughs> discipline that, totally that could right. go in and check out, you know, do uh, <laughs> research on on this subject, I would want that to happen. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter what my right. my favorite theories are. I right. want to see what the results of that, you know, uh, scientific endeavor. We're I'm wrong right. all the
3: time. I think that you have to. If you, I think when you stop admitting you're wrong is is yeah, uh, it's a part of growing. Well, and I think somebody said it. The second you think you know everything, then learning and knowledge is stopped. So the second that's you right, you don't acknowledge that you could be wrong, or there is some paradigm shift to be had. That you are just done, and there's no point of even continuing. So you get a lot of people like that that think. The way that this this paradigm that, or this, um, uh, this way that we're taught that the uniformitarianism and the way that this linear timeline works, when that's taught to so many people, well, of course, there's going to be people that take that seriously. That's what they know. They're going to continue on that tradition, just like we're talking about these more esoteric traditions. So again i don't know i don't even think those people are necessarily wrong i don't know but i think it's the fact that they're so combative about it and they're not even open-minded about it is what you see happening now with this like alternative archaeology fringe archaeology and all these other different fringe topics and fringe science things and all this stuff because there is this fringe there is this gap and if you're not going to look into it somebody needs to i think that's how you move the needle you can't move the needle by going at the snail's pace and just keep pushing the border out little by little by little i think you have to take these giant guesses these giant leaps and let people make that make up that distance with from the work that you're doing so i wish more people would push the envelope a little bit like you said you're a big fan of tesla Tesla was 100, 200 years ahead of his time in his thinking and his innovations and stuff like that. So yeah, if you get more Elon Musks, more Teslas, more Steve Jobs, more crazy yeah. outside the box, box thinkers, I mean who there's I think that we would be a lot further by now, but that's just my opinion.
2: Yeah, and this yeah. is this so this comes all the way back to the topic of answers versus questions. This is one of the reasons I think that it's so much more important to look for questions than answers because it's it's answers that trap you into thinking one way and not another mm-hmm. questions are always open-ended right? right so asking the right questions is is to me or, or seeking the, the good questions is better than looking for answers because answers lead you to that's the end of the problem you got an answer you're done solution it's over right right so to, even if you do find a type of answer it should always lead to more questions um, that's yeah that's how I look
3: at it absolutely all right. Well, I mean, is there anything else you guys wanted to hit on? I think we've done more than a couple hours here. I think yeah. we, we've gotten some work in. I think we might actually turn this into <laughs> to two parts because I don't know if people will be able to digest more than a hour and a half at a time.
2: <laughs> right on. Yeah. That well, was, everything we said was easy. You guys are the ones that are hard.
3: Oh,
2: yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're so hard. Bro. You guys are like, you guys are so deep and complicated, and Kyler and I are just like, dude, pyramids <laughs> are badass. End of story.
1: <laughs> I, yeah,
2: I'm, I,
3: I like to go deep with this stuff. I'm, you know, it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it was it's a been,
2: great great conversation. Yeah, it's been a great time, guys.
3: Yeah. Oh, we yeah, love him. We'll have you guys, guys back on shit. for, sure. for yeah. sure. Yeah, anytime you guys want to come back on, or we whatever get back get, get swapcast going again or whatever the case may be we will uh, we're down Doing for, it in a month or two that was awesome and we're down for different topics too you know we love the ancient civilization and megalithic structure stuff but we can go anywhere so whatever you guys want to talk about cool yeah so I mean, we can talk about pyramids forever so <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> so why don't you guys plug your website you guys gotta everybody check out their youtube channel brothers of the Serpent. Subscribe you subscribe to us subscribe to them
2: yeah uh so website is brothers of brothers of the serpent dot com and almost everything can be found there uh we're found anywhere podcasts can be found we're mostly an audio podcast uh the videos are on youtube history shift makes those for us and uh, makes those for us he's awesome but shout out to history shift yeah. Shout out to history shift. He's great. Follow him on Twitter too. Uh, we are also on Twitter at snake bros with no vowels. S N K B R S. Uh, anybody wants to email
3: us brothers of the serpent at gmail.com. Awesome. Uh, Perfect. Thank yeah. You we fellas. love the emails. Yeah. And you can check us out at patreon.com slash Mike and Maurice for $2 a month. You'll get exclusive content, uh, videos and audio. Check us out at Mike and Maurice we're on instagram we're on twitter and we have a facebook group as well so check that out all right dudes we'll we'll get you guys back on again but that was a super fun talk and i oh, yeah i think we could have talked for a couple more hours if yeah, we were left so. to uh, our own devices here so. <laughs> <laughs> i want to
2: dive deeply uh, more deep into the greek stuff because we we haven't done enough of that i think so next time we get get on with you guys let's
3: let's yeah. talk yeah, I'm to, I, sounds good. I'm yeah. still studying it. We're gonna do the next one. We do the slideshow stuff that we do. I think we're gonna do it on the Sophists, um, and then the f- part four will be on like the megalithic structures, and I think part five will be on the Eleusinian mysteries. So yeah, cool. But awesome. uh, thanks again, guys. And yeah, uh, a lot. oh, also check out you guys plug your other the the thing you do with Randall. Cosmo. Oh yeah, cosmographia with a K. Uh, you can just look it up. On Google
2: Cosmographia, we have, there's a YouTube, there is a, uh, so the YouTube videos are posted on Cosmographia, but also under Geocosmic Rex. Okay. Uh, The Geocosmic Rex ones are posted first, and they're split, they're usually broken up, and then later on, that whole episode is put on the Cosmographia channel all to get all as one piece.
3: And you guys are also on all podcast uh, formats as well. And they they do it with uh, Randall Carlson, who I'm sure you've either seen him on Joe Rogan or... Anything with Graham Hancock and on his own yeah. sacred geometry stuff. Um and yeah, I've listened, Young is in there. Yeah. I've and listened Mike. to uh, I think you guys did a couple parts on like Atlantis or something. I listened to a couple of yeah. those. Those were good.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We did a whole long series on on Randall's work on Atlantis. Nice. Which is actually which is actually mostly him uh very interesting. It's mostly him D de- like deconstructing the geological uh Academic geology's arguments against the possibility of islands in the middle of the Atlantic. He's not actually saying Atlantis is real. Right. He's actually going and saying, "Look what all these geologists have said that it's totally not possible." And then he takes that completely apart and shows you, "No, that's not right." But he's
4: also using other geologists' work.
2: Yes. Right? So it's that's a, right. It's he's really showing you right. that the geological science actually says that yes, supports he, us, yeah, yeah, supports there being a a, a sunken area in the middle of the Atlantic around the Azores.
3: So. Yeah, and there was a big push. Um was it? Bright Insight guy did. The Rekot, yeah. The Eye of the uh, Sahara, the Recot structure, and yep. <laughs> I know Ancient Architects has done a few on that as well. Uh, yeah, but I mean, if you're going to look into that stuff, you might as well just look into the descriptions and the Critias and the Timaeus, because that's where yep. a lot of that stuff's found. So. And that's,
4: the, yeah, that's where he, that's where Randall starts from. He's looking, he's going through the dialogues, he's looking at Here's the pieces of information that
2: Plato gaze. Plato
4: provides. Right. So let's go let's go look at the at the science around you know the the you know the questions that this leads us to and see if this is even possible. And it's it's really yeah. really great work. He
2: he says that he thinks that the reason people have been looking all over the world, except for in the Atlantis in in the Atlantic Ocean for Atlantis, is because the geology has basically said it's not possible for it to be there. Wasn't
3: well, that the um, uh, what's his face? donnelly ignatius, yeah, donnelly, ignatius that, donnelly. so like the azores was we actually did a top five on this other channel we were gonna spin off we were gonna do for a while called ancient secrets and we did a video top five locations of atlantis and our number one based on everything i read was could be azores. the azores because the azores are at a convergence of three different tectonic plates so That's right um the way that if you look at the, the tops of what you see now could just be the tops of mountains when they were describing the mountains of Atlantis and stuff like that. Yep. So that's what we came to for that. But then I know they came out with some other thing, Donana national park in Spain. They found a lot of circular uh, man-made structures as well that, and the metallurgy looked similar to the explanations and stuff like that. So I right. don't know there's so many different things out there, it's hard to keep up with everything, but yeah, yeah. Uh, but if you
2: get if you get too far away from where Plato said it was, then can you re- even call it Atlantis anymore? Right. That's that's another question that we true, ask. Like, true. if you're not looking in you the middle it, but of if, the it Atlantic, was 9, if it was ninth if it was
3: 9,600 <laughs> BC, it might have looked a lot different, the landscape too. So it's hard to go by. Most people use the Herodotus's map of that that geography over there, the the region. So it's hard to know what things look. Like roughly at the same time, Göbekli Tepe was constructed. So yeah,
2: that's right.
3: All right, yep. boys. So that's Cosmographia. Yep. Sweet. Yeah, it, I, it's a sweet podcast, and I think that uh, you and guys. And that one is primarily video. So yeah, you guys hooking up with him. That's a, that's a, I think that's a good match for you guys for sure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun for yeah. sure. Sweet. All right, guys. All right. Well, we will catch you next time. All, All right. right. All right. Thanks. Have, Have a good, good night. It's-
2: Later.